Ross, the Sports Observer before his surgery. I'm not going to lie, I woke up this morning, bit of a cough. <coughs> not a bad cough, just one of those things where you have a coughing fit for like 10 minutes straight. And then an hour later, I started sneezing. So now I got this leaky ass nose. So I'm going to blow my nose again. <sighs> you like that? You like that? You like that? Anyway, uh, day before the surgery, possibly my second last day on this earth. We don't know. I told you that I'm probably going to die during surgery. I, I, you, you just you get this feeling. You just get this feeling like something horrible is going to happen. I, I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm back with you in another three weeks. Um, hopefully, three weeks. Um, it might be a little bit longer. It just depends how things go. But uh, I definitely wanted to come at you with one more podcast before we go on a bit more of a hiatus here uh, for our knee surgery. So this morning, I had to go for a COVID test. Now, I've been fearing a COVID test for a very long time between all of us here. I mean, we're all friends. We're all friends. We're all family. We all know each other, right? I mean, kind of. We kind of know. We kind of know each other. Um, some of us, we don't know each other at all. But anyway, for the people that do know me, um, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, in the last two years since this COVID thing has started, there's been times where I've been pretty goddamn sick. But I j just the fear out of the COVID test. I, I'm not going to go get something stuck up my nose all the way to my brain. It's not, it's not happening. I, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. I'll just get over this thing myself. And at the end of the day, it was probably, it was probably something. <laughs> but I'm going to say it's probably nothing. I, I got over every single sickness within two, three days, and I was, I was perfectly fine. So anyway, judge, judge away, whatever you want. Every time people get sick, they want to go. Um, they want to go get a COVID test. My goodness, my poor nephew, every single time he gets the sniffles, just me blowing my nose there, my brother-in-law would make you go get a COVID test. Um, it's that crazy. The poor kid has to take COVID tests all the time. Um, absolutely not necessary. I mean, we, you all know your own bodies, and you know when something's really, really wrong, and you're really, really sick. Then you go get tested. It never came down to that. It was like, you know, just not feeling well could have been anything but I feared the COVID test well this morning I had to go get a COVID test 10:40 a.m. at the Pan Am Clinic I had to go get my COVID test because uh, they just don't let you walk into surgeries anymore like they used to you have to get a test for absolutely everything so it's probably around I'm about 10 minutes late I waltz in there at about 10:48, 10:50. I say I'm here for my COVID test you know they ask you all the questions I sit down, and I'm nervous. I mean, ultimately, I'm nervous. I'm like, I'm not nervous about the surgery. I, I'm not going to know what's happening. Uh, I've had IVs stuck in me all the time. I've had, I've been put to sleep many, many times. I've had many surgeries. I, I want to say tomorrow is going to be my eighth. I mean, we're talking from my first surgery when I was 20 years old to now just turned 45 on the 11th. Um, I want to say, and by the way, shout out to all the people that gave me happy birthday wishes. I might go back on Facebook and uh, and um, uh, give a shout out to all the people that did wish me a happy birthday. And to the people that didn't, for shame. For shame. But anyway, I'm 35 now. 
I'm 40. I'm a man. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm, I'm, try, I'm losing track of what the hell I was trying to say, but it, I've had many surgeries between the ages of 20 and 45. That's 25 years. If I'm doing my math, I'm 20. Okay, 30 is 10. 40 is 20, and add 5, that's 25. So 25 years to have 7 or 8 surgeries, whatever's tomorrow's going to be, it's going to be either 7 or 8. That's a lot of surgeries. So I've been put down many, many times. It doesn't scare me. Um, for some reason, uh, we're going to go more into it in the podcast. Uh, I, I, a lot of people that I've known that have been close to me, I- either in the past or even now, uh, they're just passing away. So it's like, when's your time, Ross? I mean, you, you don't start thinking about death in your 70s and 80s anymore. Um, I would say once you pass 40, it could pretty much hit you at any time. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much CrossFit you do. It doesn't matter how well you eat. Um, it doesn't matter how well you take care of yourself, how many physicals you do in a year. It, it doesn't matter. It can literally hit you at fucking any time. It, it does not matter anymore. I always go back to Patrick Swayze. What a fucking specimen, man. Beautiful body, beautiful human being. Uh, absolutely a dynamo. Gets cancer, fucking dead within two years. Uh, what was he? In his early 50s, late 40s? The guy was an absolute dynamo. Uh, probably never did a bad thing in his life to his body. Absolute specimen. Um, and fuck, for what, right? For what? He may as well have been like me and ate shit and been fat his whole life. Because he, you know, he died at a young age, so you just don't know anymore. And uh, so it could be my time tomorrow. I, I hope not. I hope we're back with you in another few weeks with the podcast. But you just, you don't know. If this is my obituary, then this is my obituary. Listen to it over and over again. It's not going to go anywhere. Red Heat doesn't know the password to any of these shit, so this will be up forever. Um, hopefully it doesn't come to that. But um, you just don't know anymore. So, you know, once this is my second surgery in my 40s, I had one two years ago. Um, So I was put down for that one, too. But I would say I was a little bit healthier at that point. Um, Not as healthy right now. I would get I would probably venture to guess I'm 25, 30 pounds heavier than I was at that point a year and a half ago. So you just you just don't know. Uh, but hopefully everything goes all right. So anyway, I go in. This is such a... Can you imagine seven minutes and I haven't even gotten my fucking point yet? So I go in. Uh, super, super sweet young chick. Uh, I shouldn't say young chick. Young lady. Um, gorgeous little thing. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And, and again, Red Heat's not listening to this. I felt like asking her out on a date. She was absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if she was uh, uh, practicing to become a, a nurse uh, if she's uh, doing, uh, becoming a doctor, potentially. I mean, she was young. She couldn't have been any more than 21, 22, uh, maybe even 20. I, I don't know. But anyway, I was talking her ear off. I had her laughing like crazy. I was doing the typical sports observer, Ross uh, humor. And uh, she was uh, she was vibing. She, she was digging it. So uh, anyway, uh, I told her I was, I was deathly afraid of what was going to happen. And... Um, she said, yeah, some people really uh, don't do not do well with this. And I was like, okay, let's go. I said, I, I, my daughter told me to tilt my head back and stick out my tongue. She's like, well, you got to tilt your head back. But I'd never heard of the sticking the tongue out thing. Uh, and boy, I was uh, not going to lie. I was, uh, was very, uh, 
And I wanted to say something. Gurgle, <laughs> gurgle. Something at that point when I said, stick out my tongue and uh, could have done something with it. But anyway. Can I put my finger in your ass? Nevertheless. Uh, so yeah, I lean back my head. I stick out my tongue. She sticks this thing up my nose. I mean, it's going and going and going. And uh, I will tell you, my last surgery was uh, my second nose surgery. So, uh, boy, Dr. Gigi Osler, she must have really done a hell of a job because I didn't feel a thing. She's like, okay, we're here. I'm like, okay. She's like, okay, 10 seconds. I'm like, I don't feel anything. So when she pulled it out, it tickled a little bit, but that's it. She's like, are you crying or you need to cough? Or I'm like, no, I didn't feel any of that. She's like, wow. I was like, yeah, wow, I'm incredible. Uh, what's your number? God damn it. 120 pounds lighter and 20 years younger, I would have asked. I would have. Mark my word, I would have. So anyway, that was my COVID test this morning. Uh, hopefully it comes out negative. Like I said, I got a bit of a, I got a bit of a leaky nose. Not sure what's happening with that. I'm not sure why, but uh, Red Heat probably got me sick. Red Heat's sick. She was sick for the last seven, eight days, and uh, she probably passed this cold on to me. You know, women. It's just what it is, right? We have to live with them, pass the beer nuts. Um, so, yeah, surgery tomorrow. Hopefully it all goes well. COVID test, hopefully it's negative. Uh, if it's um, if it's positive, you're going to be hearing a lot more from me because I'm going to be stuck in this basement for the next 10 to 14 days, uh, having a quarantine myself probably. But uh, nevertheless, hopefully everything goes well. We have surgery tomorrow and everything's good. Uh, recovery time is going to be quite a while. Uh, so hopefully we'll hit you up with some good podcasts. But uh, We'll drop the surgery for now. Anyway, got an interesting text. I got this random text uh, after the last podcast. It was maybe six, seven days after the podcast was released. And I got a great little message. I got list, listening to the podcast, like something like this. I erased the message. But it was, um, um, you know, not verbatim. I, I'm not sure exactly what it said. But it, it went along the lines of this. Uh, listening to the podcast, hilarious, sounds great. That's kind of it. It, it just kind of was talking about the podcast, and I, it, it just came from a random number, and I was like, who the fuck is this? So anyway, the next text, it was actually in the same text, but as I'm reading down, it says, if you don't know who this is, it's Jay Soros. I'm like, Soros! I miss Soros. I haven't seen Soros forever. Actually, I did see Soros. He works for the city. I saw him in a city truck, and we just kind of talked to each other at a red light, but I miss Soros to death. We were very good friends. Uh, you know, I mean, we're still friendly. We're not we're not best friends or anything anymore, but we were really, really good friends for a good period of time there. Um, give you a bit of the story there. Uh, I met Jay Soros through uh, uh, Luca, uh, I, uh, at the time a young man that uh, came to work for Fabris. And I was young too. I mean, I had to have been maybe 21, but he was maybe, he was 18, 19 years old, right out of high school. Uh, he had done some work with his dad, but he wanted to, you know, learn a little quicker, do some more jobs. So he came to work with Fabris. And I think uh, six months, a year into Luca working for Fabris, uh, he brought on Jay Soros because Jay Soros was looking for some work. Um, and I couldn't believe Jay Soros was awesome. 
Uh, I was becoming uh, good friends with uh, Luke at this point. And of course, uh, Luke and Jay Soros were good friends. So I became friends with all of uh, Luca's friends at that point. Um, I had never, ever kind of gotten on with a group that goes to the bar all the time, goes to the beach, hangs out, has a great time. Uh, I did have some buddies like that, but we kind of, and I'm going to talk about this later in the podcast, but we kind of separated. We went our own ways at about 18 because I went to work for Fabris and Watts right after high school, and these guys continued uh, finishing up high school and going to uh, you know Red River College and stuff like that. So we kind of separated ways. I, I was more interested in my career at that point. Uh, I wasn't partying and doing things like that. But three, four years into you know my career, what I was going to do, 21, 22, whatever I was, um, I was pretty comfortable with my job. I was you know going out a little bit more. And these guys came into my life right at the perfect time. And I got to live my 18 and 19-year-old days in my very early 20s, 21, 22, I got to live these days with these guys vicarious, not even vicariously through them, but with them. Um, we were going to bars together. We were going to watch uh, strippers, rippers together. Uh, we were going to the beach on Saturdays. Uh, we would work all week together and say, hey, we, let's go to Grand Beach. We were partying at people's houses in Grand Beach. We were going to bars. We were going to house parties, all this great stuff. And the best thing about it was all of Luca and Jay's friends were just fucking awesome. Like, they just, and friends aren't usually like that. And I'll get into um, uh, my high school friends. When I kind of separated ways from them, what happened after, but it was amazing that with this group of guys, it was the complete opposite of what had happened to my high school friends. This group of guys were completely fucking open and, and, and just letting you in. It wasn't like, who the fuck is this guy? This guy didn't go to our high school. He's like three years older than us, four years older than us. Like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? Like, who is this guy? None of them were like that. Like, all these guys. I know Tre Trevor. I remember Trevor's name. But I remember all the guys. I remember all the guys. And um, I remember them by, by face, but I don't remember their names. But I, I remember Trevor, Luca, and Jay Soros were just fucking awesome, and all their buddies were awesome. The girls were a little bit standoffish. The girls were standoffish. Uh, they liked their guy friends. Uh, when I kind of came around, they didn't really talk to me or anything like that. Uh, it, it was a little bit, uh, they were a little bit intimidated by, by somebody that was new. Uh, but again, it was a girl. Girls never really liked me or, or liked any of them, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. We were actually quite the, the, the pack of losers, to be quite honest with you. Uh, we never picked up any chicks, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I've got a great story I'm going to go into pretty soon about me and Jay Zoris, uh with girls. But, um, yeah, the girls were a little bit more standoffish, uh, but the guys were open. And, you know, it's it's tough. When you've got 18, 19-year-old guys full of piss and vinegar, some 22-year-old fucking random guy comes into the group. Uh, those guys, I found in the past, those experiences, those guys are willing to fight. Like, they don't want you in the group, but these guys weren't like that. They were fucking awesome. I love those guys. I love every single one of them. I wish I could see them again. Uh, but, boy, so much time has passed that uh, it's it's nearly impossible. But Jay Soros reached out. That's awesome. Thanks so much for reaching out, Jay. Uh, fucking awesome. We had a great 
text back and forth for about two hours. It was fucking spectacular. Anyway, I'll give you a great story of how much of a loser we were, or I was anyway. Um, for some reason, I remember Jay, one night, he wanted one of my shirts. Uh, I was maybe wearing an Atari shirt. Um, it could have been something like that. I think I was, this was back when Atari, the Atari shirt was cool and shit like that. It's kind of like when the kids now wear NASA shirts. It's so cool. But anyway, I was wearing an Atari shirt. And again, it, could, it might have not been an Atari shirt, but I just want to say it was because it was something like that. It was something rare. I never wore shit like that. But I was wearing, I'm just going to say an Atari shirt. And Soros is like, holy fuck, I love that shirt. Let's trade shirts. And he was wearing, it was a company out of BC at the time. And they still might be out of Whistler. Uh, it was called West, West Beach. It was Long Beach or West Beach. Anyway, it was a West Beach shirt. It was a cool shirt. I liked it. Um, I didn't, I mean, honestly, God, I didn't think anything of it. It was just a fucking shirt. Who cares? But anyway, I, I think it said West Beach on it. And Soros was wearing it, so we switched shirts. And can you believe it? If you saw Jay Soros now and you saw me now, if I put on one of his shirts, I would look like um, I would look like the guy from Trailer Park Boys, the big fat guy with the belly hanging out of the bottom of the shirt, and the shirt only covers the top of his belly. That's what I would look like. I would look like that guy. Um, it's incredible that we used to be able to fit each other's shirts. Uh, no chance now. I'm pretty sure Jay Soros isn't pushing three bills. So, nevertheless, <laughs> that's how long ago this was. Uh, way too long ago. So, anyway, Jay Soros gives me his shirt. I give him his shirt. We go to the A. It was definitely the A on Portage Avenue. We go there, and, um, of course, we are such losers. We're just standing by the dance floor or something we're standing somewhere they're drinking their beers i'm not a drinker so i was drinking probably a coke um and it's me soros luca i'm pretty sure trevor was there and a few other of the guys so a girl is talking to me and i'm like and they're looking at me i'm like I, i'm like fuck i don't know don't look I, I looked at them i just put my hands up i said I, I don't know why this chick's talking to me she was smoking hot she worked at the tan place if anybody is from Winnipeg, they will remember on Grant Avenue, um, very close to the Keniston Village Mall on Grant and Keniston, there's a subway kind of close to that corner, uh, kind of right across from where the Superstore is. Uh, she worked at the Tam Place, which is now a shutdown ice cream shop, but it used to be a Fabutan, I think. It's right beside the subway. So she worked there. She told me she worked there. I'm like, oh, fuck, I live like two minutes away from there. She was fucking hot. I'm not going to. She was a redhead. She was hot. First of all, any single girl in that bar that would have spoken to me would have been hot. But this girl was exceptionally hot. Like, too hot for me. And, and they're just, I don't know what's going on. And this girl's talking to me all night long. And I'm, I'm not the, again, I'm, not, I'm a loser. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to ask a girl for her number. So... I'm just like, this is a guarantee. Like, I'm, I'm going to get this girl's number. So finally at the end of the night, and I just, you know what? The one thing I did, maybe a mistake, might have been a mistake, might have not have been a mistake. She was wearing a skirt. She had beautiful legs. I said, I just, I touched her legs. I was like, fuck, man. These legs were, were muscular. 
not not big muscular, but you could tell whatever size the leg was, it was solid. So for some reason, I touched the inside of her leg, like kind of near the calf and near the knee, and she kind of looked at me. She's like, she's like, fuck, nobody's ever done that to me before. And I was like, <laughs> you just wait to see what else I'm gonna do to you. So anyway, she, she, it wasn't a problem. It's not like she stopped talking to me. We were still talking. And the guys were like, let's fuck off, Ross. Let's get out of here. So I was probably talking to this girl for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, she wouldn't give me her number, but I gave her my number. Uh, go figure. Never heard back from her ever again. But anyway, smoking hot. So these guys are all like, why was this girl talking? I said, I have no idea. I have no So finally, we figured out. I was wearing one of Jay Soros's friends' shirt, and this friend's name—I don't—I want to—I'm just going to call him Duplitsky because it was something like that. It was Krushnitsky or Duplitsky or Kutitsky. It was something ski. So I'm going to say Duplitsky. He's probably going to text me and tell me what his name actually was. But anyway, this guy Duplitsky—he was—he was—he was just one of these fucking cool guys. He—he he was. He would sleep with any girl, any girl. You point to a girl in the bar, he's bang, end of the night, she's with him. He's like, he's like, I didn't even think of this. You're wearing Duplitsky's shirt. I said, holy fuck. Are you kidding me? I said, so it's Duplitsky's sexual smell and aura on me that, that attracted this girl. This girl's not into me. She's into Duplitsky. They're like, holy fuck, you're right. It probably is him. So a couple weeks later, <laughs> we went to a house party at Duplitsky's house. We brought a suitcase full of fucking clothes. <laughs> we brought suitcases of clothes, and we scattered it in his room. And we were like, and, and we, he was there, and I can't, I can't remember his name. I, he's like, I think we called him Duplitsky. And we were like, Duplitsky, do you have a girl lined up for tonight? He's like, he's like, right there. We're like, take her in your room and bang her. <laughs> and bang her. We got our clothes scattered on the floor. We want to pick up the sexual, the sexual feeling, you know? Because I was wearing your shirt. I was wearing your shirt that you pump in. And chicks were coming up to me. They could smell you on me. So we scattered our clothes on this floor. <laughs> so we scattered clothes on Duplitsky's floor, and we were hoping it would work. It didn't work. It didn't work. We didn't get. We didn't pick up any chicks with those clothes. So yeah, he went into the room. He did his business with this girl, and at the end of the night, we scooped up her clothes. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Jay Soros uh, did better than me, but holy shit, what a night. What a goddamn night that was. Uh, that was great times, and there was way more times like that. We, um, Paddle Wheel Queen, the Paddle Wheel Queen used to do a Thursday night dance party night, and basically it only attracted hoods and hoodlums and young people and fights and brawls. The Paddle Wheel Queen actually had a... Uh, a, a compartment underneath the main area where we party, it had a, an area underneath there to hold people that would get into fights and start trouble. So when they pulled up to dock, the cops would be there. They'd go down there and scoop them up and take them out. So they actually had a holding cell in the paddle wheel queen for the troublemakers. Um, 
and I heard of this crew because the guys from Grand Park used to go there and start fucking trouble. The gang wannabe guys, you know, those guys would start trouble there. So I knew about this shit. So when we went on this boat, um, once again, I think this was pretty close to the time we were wearing the clothes that were on Duplitsky's floor. And um, we're trying to pick up girls. Now, we always would laugh about it and say girls uh, maced us. And it didn't affect us. And girls constantly would mace us. Uh, girls wouldn't mace us. They would just simply ignore us. But on this boat, a girl decided to mace somebody. We don't know who, but it was very close to us. And everybody, everybody was like, oh, the fucking eyes were watering. It was terrible. They were crying. Uh, all hell was breaking loose on this boat. And sure enough, me and Jay Soros, we <laughs> it didn't even touch us. It didn't even affect us. We're just like... This happens to us every single weekend. We're used to it. This is like Baraka to us. Like, what is this? This is nothing. So the joke all the time would be like, these chicks would mace us all the time, and it wouldn't even affect us. We wouldn't even feel it. So great fucking times. Uh, Dr. Chris uh, probably doesn't doesn't remember the name, but uh, Dr. Chris J. Soros is the guy we went to Grand Beach together with. Uh, Dr. Chris and Jay, if you, if you remember, Dr. Chris uh, wasn't a doctor at the time, uh, but I think he was going to school. He might have come back at this point for his two, three weeks off during the summer from Atlanta where he went uh, to school. Um, and he came back and we went to Grand Beach and hung out at a cabin. So, uh, and Dr. Chris was there. And again, they were totally cool with the Dr. Chris. They'd never seen this fucking guy in his life and they were totally cool with him. They were cool with them. By the end of the night, everybody was best friends. These guys were the fucking... These guys were the tits. These guys were awesome to hang out with. No fucking problems. There was never a fucking problem with these guys. As soon as they met you once, you guys were brothers for life. Uh, it was great. So, Dr. Chris, I don't know if you remember that cabin we went to in Grand Beach with Jay Soros. Uh, these were the guys. They were fucking awesome. Awesome. So, anyway... Shout out to Jay. So I got a lot more fucking stories with Jay Soros, let me tell you. But uh, we'll save those for another day. Great fucking times. Uh, absolutely love those guys. Uh, I'm pretty sure at some point, uh, if I make it out of this surgery alive, uh, we'll get the boys together again. No question about it. We'll get the boys together again. So let's go into... I'm going to kind of sway off of... Uh, off of this, I'm going to get back to friends uh, in a little while, um, but I want to talk about the Jets for a little while. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets, oh, fuck man, they're having a hell of a fucking season. Listen, when I talked to you three, four weeks ago, we said that the Winnipeg Jets were going to make the playoffs, they were most likely going to kind of finish in that 7th, 8th spot. And we said they're kind they're kind of the team that's going to win two, lose two. Uh, they're going to win a few in overtime. They're going to lose a few in overtime. They're going to win a few shootouts, lose a few shootouts. Um, I think, And I said, I think at the end of the day, they're going to end up with, you know, two, three, four more wins than losses. And it'll, it'll, it'll make them and it'll get them into the playoffs. Listen, so far I've been way off. This team is more of win three, lose one. Win three lose one in overtime or a shootout but still get a point they are they are um 
I mean, they're like that. They're like that chick that we met at. Uh, they're like that chick we met at the A. They're over. They're over. They're overshooting. They're overhitting their average. Um, I don't believe the Winnipeg Jets are that kind of team, but everybody has them as a Stanley Cup contender. Like all the pundits, all the insiders, all these people have them as um, Stanley Cup contenders. I don't believe they are. I don't believe they are for half a second. But <coughs> I've got to give credit to where credit's due. Uh, this is not a team that wins one, loses one, wins two, loses three, wins four, uh, loses two, and you know wins a couple in shootouts. Or you know this this is a team that wins a lot more games than loses right now. Now we're only two months into the season. There's still a long ways to go. I think we're 15, 18 games into the season out of 82. Um, they still have a ways to go. Uh, the division is so stacked at the top. I believe the Jets are in first place in this division, but uh, literally the fourth, fifth place team, um, if they win two and the Jets lose two, uh, the Jets are in fourth, fifth place. I it's that close. So uh, it's amazing to me that if you want to win the division, if you want to finish top four in the conference, uh, hell, even if you want to finish where I think they'll finish, anywhere between fifth and eighth, um, y you have to basically, um, I think you have to win two out of every three games at the, at the rate these teams are winning. Um, the top half of the league has to be, is just amazing. And the bottom half of the league stinks. And these teams are all seem to be losing against each other. And they're all the teams they, they should be winning. They are winning. You know, like it's not one of these situations where you have a team like Arizona or Chicago who just fucking stink to high hell. You know, it doesn't seem like they're going into a Carolina or they're not going into Long Island. They're not coming into Winnipeg or St. Louis and beating those teams. Um, so all the teams that are kind of where the Jets are, um, it, it doesn't seem like they're losing against those bottom teams. And that's kind of what you need to get you give yourself some distance. Um, it's just not happening. Uh, the teams the Jets are beating, everybody just a little bit below them are beating the same teams. So it's it's really one of those things. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to take a little bit of a break here. Um, we'll continue talking about the Jets, but I'm going to take a little break here. I'm announcing it because I'm going to pause and you might hear a little bit of a pause in the program. So I'm going to take a little break here, go get some water. Anyway, we're back. So we were talking about the Jets. <coughs> yeah, so I, pardon me. Yeah, so I, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I think... Um, they still kind of will finish, uh, you know, between 5th and 8th. Again, I, I had them more finishing in 7th or 8th. But I'm pretty sure, uh, I think they're just a better team than that. I, I had them wrong. But anyway, I got into this little Twitter feud with this uh, former, uh, we used to have an all-sports station here called TSN 1290. And pretty much when the, uh, the Jets were awarded to uh, CJOB here, uh, TSN pretty much gave up on the sports radio and sports radio business when it came to uh, the city of Winnipeg. They just basically they just basically shut down. They shut down. Um, there really isn't anything here for them. But anyway, Jim Toth was one of these guys that worked in the morning. 
Um, he actually likes to spar with you back and forth. Uh, anything you say, he pretty much wants to argue with you. And he always ends every tweet by saying, take care, have a nice, you know, when he, he his point is final, he just says, hey, he never lets you rebut. But anyway, I keep rebutting to him. So we would go back and forth on this Wheeler contract. When Blake Wheeler signed this contract, it was a terrible contract to begin with. I don't care how many 70, 80, 90 point seasons he's had the last two, three years. Um, he signed such a long-term contract, but by the time this contract is one-third of the way through, um, it's not worth it's not worth its weight in gold at all. It's not worth anything. Um, and he's already starting to show signs. Uh, last year, he was starting to show signs of that, and this year, he is not only showing signs of that, um, he is that. Uh, he's not an $8 million a year player or a $7 million a year player. Um, he's lucky if he's going to get... 30 to 40 points this year he's going to be lucky to even get 10 goals this year and a guy making that much money that's unacceptable it can't happen i don't care how much loyalty is involved i don't care if he's your captain i don't care if you're sending a message showing people that hey we're going to retain our guys we're going to keep our guys it's not worth it anyway i've gone back and forth with this guy for years on this now i've let it go for the past few years because the guy was playing well. What was I going to say? But I told him from the beginning, bad contract, and he was he's always defending it. It's the hill he wants to die on. It really is. So anyway, I mentioned that to him, and he says, no, the hill that I die on is keeping Kyle Connor and getting rid of Line A. I'm like, listen, you fucking idiot. Fuck you. The reason why we signed Andrew Kopp, who, by the way, is looking like he's a five, six, seven million dollar player. He's one of the he's one of the better centers in the NHL right now. When he goes to free agency, he's gonna be highly, highly sought after. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up going to the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks just seem to follow the Winnipeg Jets around and whoever is the Winnipeg Jets free agent, the Vancouver Canucks just sign them. Uh, so if if Andrew Kopp goes to free agency I'm guessing Vancouver is going to be his destination. It just seems what Vancouver does. <coughs> I don't think Vancouver watches any other team other than the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, that's what it seems like to me, but um, <laughs> much, to their <laughs> much to their chagrin, the fans' chagrin, like, can we stop signing guys from the Jets? They just, we overpay them and they turn out to be terrible. I'm sure that's what the fans are saying in Vancouver. Uh, cousin Brad would, will tell us if, we, if we're wrong about that. But nevertheless, yes, we, I was going back and forth with this guy, and I said, listen, I said, the reason why we couldn't sign Andrew Kopp, who, again, is going to be a highly sought-after free agent this year, we had to sign him to a one-year deal, and that's going to take him right to free agency. Typically, when guys are one, two years away from free agency, you have to overpay them a little bit, but you sign them two, three years into free agency to a three, four, five-year contract. This is what happens all the time. So, at the end of the day, we're going to lose Andrew Kopp. And he came back to me and said, no, Andrew Kopp, Stasny's contract will be done, and that's $2 million, and this and that, blah, 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 blah. No, you're, you're a fucking clown. You're a fucking clown. First of all, Guys don't go to free agency and then re-sign with the team that, you know, they end up, you know, playing for the year before or five years before. A guy like Andrew Kopp is just a perfect example of a guy who starts out young in the game, 
goes to the minors, comes up, plays fourth line minutes, gradually goes up to the third line, maybe finds himself out of the lineup here and there, maybe finds himself in the minors a little bit, and gradually works his way up to where he is right now. The Jets did not bet on Andrew Kopp and win. Andrew Kopp bet on himself, signed a little one-year deal, two-year deal, one-year deal, one And finally, when the Jets realized last summer, this guy's the real deal, he's a great player, there was no room in their salary cap structure because they're way overpaying Wheeler. And this guy, Jim Toth, is coming at me talking about Liney and Connor. I don't give a, I don't give a shit about Liney. Liney needed to go. He's gone. He's good riddance. He's, he was never going to be worth any money he's going to make. But you overpaid Wheeler, and now you don't have money under your salary cap, and you don't even have money next year. You have pins next year. You've got just little $700,000 contract here, $2 million contract there. You can't give that over to one player and then only play, you know, play with three guys short of a full staff. <coughs> That's not the way it works. So we're going to end up losing Andrew Kopp because we decided to overpay Blake Wheeler. But this guy absolutely lives on the hill of Blake Wheeler. He thinks it was the greatest signing, the greatest thing. You know, the guy does uh, does radio and he does this stuff professionally for a long time. I don't want to say he doesn't know what he's doing. But his opinion on Blake Wheeler is wrong. It's always been wrong. He's like Gary Bettman. He doesn't want to admit when he's made a mistake. Listen, I just admitted to you my thoughts on the Jets even four weeks ago was wrong. They're a way better team. I can always admit when I'm wrong. And this guy just refuses, as Jim Toth, refuses to admit that he is wrong and when he is wrong. And Jimmy Boy, you are wrong on Blake Wheeler. Blake Wheeler has cost us Andrew Kopp, and God knows who else it's going to cost us in the next two to three years. While you know, you're paying him seven and a half, whatever million dollars to get you, I don't know, to play on the fourth, third line and get 20, 25 points a year. It's a brutal contract, and it always was a brutal contract. <coughs> so anyway, and also shout out to Cousin Ann. That's Cousin Brad's uh, sister. I had no idea she listened to the podcast. She just all of a sudden one day, water break. She just all of a sudden on uh, Facebook Messenger started uh, Facebook Messenger started to um, uh, text me about the podcast. I was like, I didn't even know you listened to the podcast. This podcast has been going on for three years. And this is the first I ever heard of her listening to it. I don't know what made her decide to listen to it. But nevertheless, she did listen to it. So shout out to Anne. I'm not sure if you're listening to this one or if you're ever going to listen again after what you heard last week. But uh, yeah, shout out to Anne. Cousin Anne. Cousin Anne in Vancouver. I'm really getting tired of Vancouver people. Dr. Chris. Cousin Brad. Anne. I'm just so tired of it. You know, I'm kind of happy the Kukahola Kukahola broke down. They said, now BC's cut off from the rest of Canada. I'm like, it's probably the way they want it. Let's let's be honest with each other. I think if BC could become their own little country and put up like the the Chinese wall, they would do it. I'm pretty sure of it. Everybody that moves to BC is trying to get away from the rest of Canada. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm positive of it. I'm getting tired of talking about you Vancouverites. Uh, I, I love you guys. You know I love you guys. But I'm 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 actually happy the Kukahola <laughs> fucking destroyed. I'm glad the river washed out the Kukahola. 
no, we can't, you guys can't come here, and we can't go there. It's, it's, it's like a match made in heaven. So let's move on. <laughs> a, little bit of, uh, a little bit of laughter before a little bit of sadness. Anyway, what we're going to talk about next uh, is not going to be the happiest thing in the world. It's, it just isn't. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry, this, this, this cold or whatever I have, it's killing me. I'm going to drink more water, my God. Anyway, this, um, I'm going to take my shirt off. Here, you guys, don't look. Oh, don't look while I'm taking my clothes. I'm slowly starting to shed clothes. I'm slowly shedding clothes as this podcast goes on. Those are my nipples. Tickle my tits. Anyway, so the next thing I'm going to talk about is uh, basically people dying. It's, it's, it's not a fun conversation, but, you know, it's... <laughs> This is, I had, uh, oh, last year, last year, uh, a friend of mine that I worked with, his name was Sean Giacobucci, um, he passed away, he passed away, he was hunting uh, um, up in the Petersfield area, he was out in the bush with a friend of his, and uh, he, he passed away in the bush, he, he had a heart attack, uh, his friend, uh, you know, just from what I heard, uh, his friend was checking, you know, came to check on him, like, what's, you know, the guy's not moving, like, fell down, he went and checked on him, uh, you know, when you're not, <coughs> when you're not experienced with this stuff, and you're not a doctor, um, you're almost spending, you know, f- 20 to 30 seconds just kind of in your head, um, figuring out what's going on, um, like, is, is he joking, is he serious, like, you know, check, check, and then before you know it, it's like, oh, man, uh, he, I think he ran out of the, he ran as far to the road as he could to wave down somebody, uh, call 911 on a cell phone, and I mean, <coughs> you know, guys, it's a heart attack. It's a heart attack in the middle of the bush, and, uh, you know, we're talking, we're talking 20 minutes of a run to get to cell phone range on the highway, wave somebody down, uh, probably half an hour for ambulance to get there. By the time they got back to him, I mean, you know, the guy's already been dead for 30, 40 minutes. There's just, there's no chance, no chance, zero chance. Um, it's hard enough if you, if you fall in the city, uh, if you drop in your house where the ambulance is 10, 15 minutes away. Uh, it was just absolutely happened at the wrong place, wrong time. <coughs> but Sean, Sean, um, he was, he was just, he was, a, he was a work friend. I met him at Fabris. Uh, he was fairly young. I believe he was in his uh, late 20s. Um, we only had worked at Fabris together for about five years, and he celebrated his 30th birthday in that five years. So when I met him, he was probably 27, 28. I was only 18. So uh, he was probably seven, eight years older than me. Um and, you know, we, we just, you know, I was friends with everybody. I was friendly with everybody. But for some reason, Sean was one of those guys that I stayed friends with afterwards, which was really weird. Because when you work at a company for seven, eight years, you probably work with a hundred guys in that company in that amount of time. In that amount of time, um, <coughs> you become really friendly with 90% of them. But for some reason, I only kept in touch with a handful of them. Um, 
Luca, the one I was talking about, was one of them. Uh, I didn't even stay in touch with Jay Soros, and I love Jay Soros. We were, we're, we're you know, when we were texting, it was like old times. Like, you know, I, but I never stayed in touch with him. Um, I stayed in touch with, uh, you know, De uh, a guy named Dennis, and I stayed in touch with Sean. And that was really, and that was really it. And, and you know, then there was, you know, people that, you know, my family uh, uh, knew. So, you know, guys like, uh, like Mario and these guys, um, you know, stayed in touch just through my parents, right? So, you know, still, still knew them, but, you know, it's not like we were friends and hanging out. But Sean was always somebody that would help me when I was busy. He would, the summer we were building this house that we're in now, um, holy shit, I was so busy that summer. I was completely frantic. Uh, UFC's Lee, UFC Lee's son was working with me. It, it was crazy. I'd never had anybody work with me, so I had to sub out a, a job to Sean. And Sean was super busy too, but, you know, he did, he did whatever he could to help me. And, um... And that's the kind of friendship we had. We would always phone each other when we heard something in the tile business. Uh, if he needed a hand from me or if I knew where this supplier was, uh, it was mostly business kind of stuff. But we always we always stayed in touch. We would talk four, five, six, seven times a year. And the kicker is the last time I ever saw him, it was August. He passed away in October when it was hunting season. September, October. I'm not sure when the hunting season is, but it, but it was very soon after. I was working at an Indian temple in St. Patel, and I got a phone call from Sean. Now, you know, with, with, when Sean phones you or I phone Sean, sometimes we just let it go to voice. We always phone each other back, but it's always better texting because, you know, you know you're working and you're spreading material on the wall and you want to cover it up before it dries up or at this time I think I was grouting and you know you can't just stop and talk on the phone for 10 minutes when you're grouting it's it's time sensitive you got to wash it so I just I let it go I just pressed end to get my music to start playing again so you know I'm working and I'm working and Sean calls again like five minutes later and I'm like well this has to be serious like why would he phone two times in a row? Like, this is fucking weird. So I, I go and pick up the phone, and I'm like, yeah, what's up? He goes, you fucking asshole. He goes, I'm watching you right now. <laughs> he goes, I'm watching you through the vestibule doors. I could see you ignoring my phone call. I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I got caught. <laughs> I said, sorry, man. I was just fucking, I was groaning, man. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know. So anyway, I go into the vestibule, I open it up, I said, listen, we got to talk in the vestibule. I said, you, you have to have a head covering if you want to come into the temple. He goes, no problem. So we shot the shit for like 45 minutes, an hour. I, I swear to God, like, me and Sean will see each other once, twice a year, and we'll talk for two hours. Like, you know, we've been best friends forever. He was just that kind of guy. We shot the shit forever. Uh, he called me fat and <laughs> overweight, as he always does. I go, holy shit, stop eating, you fat fuck. That was the irony of it all. The irony of it all that he died of a heart attack and I'm still alive here telling you the story is, is the irony of, of ironies. Um, so anyway, we shot the shit for about 45 minutes, shook hands, said, okay, take care, we'll see you, see you later, see you around. Um, and I remember when I was cutting grass uh, on Dorchester, um, I went to a set, and this was probably before, this might have been July, early August, and he did, he came to see me late August, early September. 
uh, when he phoned me and, and came to see me. But I'm just kind of trying to tell you how much of an asshole I am. Um, I went to the 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee after I was cutting grass, and him and his son were in the parking lot closer to Corden, and they were, you know, talking to some guy and showing his bike off and this and that. And, you know, here's Sean, who four or five weeks later saw my truck in a parking lot and came to say hi to me when it's the work day. He's probably busy. But no, he, he pulled into the parking lot and he phoned me and waited 10 minutes for me to pick up a phone so we could talk. And here I am on a Saturday or a Sunday cutting grass and I don't have the time or the want to go and just walk to the end of the parking lot and say, hey, how's it going, Sean? <coughs> How you doing? You know, the 7-Eleven is in the Little Italy area if you're from Winnipeg or you know of Winnipeg. So they were, you know, the 7-Eleven's kind of quite a ways far back from Corden Avenue. So he didn't see me. And I, tr I, I snuck out of the truck and went and got my slurping. I snuck back in and hoped he didn't see me. Because I, I, for some reason, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to talk. And he was talking to somebody. But really, at the end of the day, it was just me being an asshole. Like, I, I, here's a guy I've known my whole life. Why didn't I want to talk to him? Why didn't I want to go and say hi for 5, 10, 20 minutes, whatever it would have been? <coughs> Here he is in a work, on a work day, pulling into a parking lot. And like I said, knocking on the glass and just wanting to say hello. So that's the last time I ever saw Sean. And uh, I got a phone call. Um, I guess it was a Monday. I think he passed away on a Sunday. Got a phone call on a, on a Monday just saying, uh, you know, do you know Sean Jacobucci? And uh, it was from a, a distributor, a, a lady I know at a distributor. I said, yeah, I'm very good friends with Sean. She told me he passed away. I couldn't fucking believe it. I was just, I was stunned. I was shocked. Uh, I was, uh, I still think about him all the time, you know, like it's, we weren't best friends. We weren't, uh, anything like that, but I think about him all the fucking time. Uh, I don't know why, like it, it doesn't make any sense, but it's just somebody I thought of like, fuck, I'm going to really miss this person. Not just in, in, in my life, but in my work life, uh, talking about work, trying to find certain things when it comes to work. <coughs> being there for me if I, you know, he, he's always been there for me if I needed him. Uh, it really hit me hard. And, and you know what? There's not a week that goes by that I'm not driving home from work and just going, fuck, man, I miss that guy. Like, I really, I miss that guy. And, and this takes me to the next thing. Um, it was, I'm going to take another drink here. It was uh, last week. I get a text from UFC Leap. He goes, he goes, do you know that George Simonitis died? I'm like, I'm like, fuck, this is, and by the way, Sean Jacobucci was maybe 48 at the time, 49. Actually, he was probably around 50, 50, 51. Because he was, like I said, he was eight, nine years older than me. I was 43, 42. So he was probably just in his very early 50s. And, again, this just goes to people are just dying earlier, earlier and earlier. So, George was just like me. He was 44 years old. We went to school together. Uh, UFC Lee knew him, too, because uh, they weren't good friends. But, you know, we were all from the same school. So, I'm just like, so I'm looking. And I'm, I just, I write people's name in Google. Because I'm like, I, I'm, something has to come up. So I'm just like, where did you hear this? Like, where is this from? He goes, well, it's on the Winnipeg Free Press. You know, I, I just saw it on their headlines. 
he reads the paper digitally. <coughs> so I look up Winnipeg Free Press and I read it. It says, you know, local hotel or local uh, restaurant tour um, dies in police custody. It's like, what the fuck is, like, what is this? So I text Dr. Chris and I say, Dr. Chris, do you know this? Like, do you know what's, have you heard of this? He goes, yeah, some, some jabroni uh, called him. I'm going to be honest, I felt kind of left out. I'm like, fuck, I I know this fucking guy. Nobody nobody tells UFC Lee has to tell me this. Dr. Chris doesn't tell me this. Nobody fucking tells me this. And I'll get into it a little bit. Uh, me and George are very good friends. The best friends. There was, I don't know, there was a handful of years we were absolutely best friends. Everywhere he went, I went. Everywhere he went, I went. Everywhere I went, he went. <coughs> it was... I, I just was shocked. I was like 44 years old. I go, his birthday is like in five days. My birthday was in two days. I'm born on the 11th. Dr. Chris is on the 13th. And Georgie's on the uh, Yorio Yorgo. We were, <laughs> we were called the Yorgo. George was on the 15th. Uh, he missed his 45th birthday by a handful of days. I, I just, I, I don't understand what happened. I don't, I was just shocked. I, w I was shocked. It's just one of those things that shocks you. And I was going to say the difference between George, this is the weird thing, the difference between George and Sean. I was very upset and saddened by Sean's death. But with George's death, I don't know. It, 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 it didn't, it didn't sadden me. It, it just shocked me more than anything. And I didn't understand it. And I don't really need to understand it. I, I don't need to get into the details of how he passed away or why he passed away. Um, you know, I have an idea, but I don't really, uh, it's, it's not for me to talk about it on here. It, you know, it, his family's never going to listen to this. There's nobody he knows is ever going to listen to this other than Dr. Chris and maybe UFC Lee, but UFC Lee doesn't even listen to this. Um, you know, nobody that's listening to this is going to know who he is. So why not just say what my theory is, but it's not, it's not for me to do. But I'll go into uh, my past with, with George, just like I did with Soros. Um, <coughs> I think George and I went came to Grand Park High School at the same time. Uh, I used to go to a school called St. John Burbuff, and it was a K-8 to school. And from uh, 9 to 12, you were supposed to move on to St. Paul's High School. Um, I did not get into St. Paul's High School. I wasn't smart enough to go to St. Paul's High School. I was not Dr. Chris. Dr. Chris was smart enough to go to St. Paul's High School. And Dr. Chris, I believe, came from River Heights High School, which isn't exactly uh, uh, an academic juggernaut. <laughs> if you would have said Ross Dinacola, St. John Brebeuf, Chris, Dr. Chris, River Heights High School, who's more likely to get in? They would say Ross Dinacola at St. John Brebeuf. It was just, it was more of an academic school. If you went there, you were just... I mean, River Heights School isn't exactly producing uh, Einsteins over there. So anyway, <laughs> Dr. Chris, he, he was smart, obviously. Uh, he went to St. Paul's. I did not. I went to Grand Park High School. And that's where I met George. That's where I met George. And George didn't know anybody either. George didn't know anybody either. He couldn't have. Um, because he kind of attached himself to me. Um, and you could tell the kids that went to Grant Park High School together already because they were all close. 
They all hung out. They all knew each other. When I went there, I didn't know anybody. The only guy I knew was Mario Anania, who also went to St. John de Bath, uh, who ended up at Grand Park High School. So myself and Mario Anania, for the first till Christmas, after Christmas, we hung out every single day. We would go to Grant Park Mall. We would go throw the football around at the, at the loco. Um, then we would go to the arcade. Grand Park Mall used to have an arcade. And we would go to the arcade and watch um, uh, just some of the scrubs uh, playing video games. So, And then we would go back after lunch. And that's what I did with Mario for the longest time because Mario was the... Uh, uh, Mario Anania was the only person I knew in that school, but George was always in this arcade, and I was in some classes with George, and George started hanging out with me and Mario, so that's why I, I have the feeling George never went to Grand Park High School for 7 and 8. Uh, he arrived at, in 9 at the same time as I did. I don't know where he was from, I don't know where he came from, but um, yeah, so we became uh, friends. And by the end of the year, we were really good friends. And we also became really good friends with um, um, another Mario, uh, another Italian Mario that I knew. Mario Anania started hanging out with different people. We both went our separate ways. So after that, we would just say hello and hi, bye, but we weren't hanging out anymore. Uh, we started making other friends. Uh, Mario wasn't really a, a guy from St. John Brebeuf, so it wasn't really a guy that... Uh, I was ever going to hang out with anyway. We just kind of, it was kind of like when two single people are banging each other, but they don't really like each other, but they're just using each other for sex until they find the right person for sex. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of like what me and Mario and Ania were. We were just kind of using each other as friends until we found new friends. So, um, my friend, my other friend, Mario, uh, who actually became best friends with George and remained best friends with George uh, right to the final days. Um, we started all hanging out, I want to say, late winter, early spring, that first year in grade 9. And uh, Mario went to a school called General Wolf. They moved from the west end of the city to uh, uh, River Heights, where he went to Grand Park. So grade 9 was his first year, too. And I will tell you, if, if he went to that school in 7 or 8, I don't think I would have gotten into that clique. That's why I mentioned how Jay Soros' friends were so cool and so open and so inviting. Uh, it was weird, because at Grand Park, if you weren't in with the people that were there in 7 and 8, you really fucking struggled. And I'll tell you, I became uh, great friends with George uh, Simonitis and uh, my new friend Mario. And we kind of became the three musketeers. We were always with each other. And because those guys were kind of cool, <laughs> those guys were kind of cool, I latched onto them and met these other people. And we all kind of became one big fucking gang. And it was really great. Uh, you know, it, it, high school was some of the best times of my life. And Jesus Christ, me and George were always in the same class. Uh, Red Heat always laughs. Me and George were in the rubber room. Uh, the, r the rubber room was for people that weren't that bright, weren't that smart. Um, you didn't go to general class because you weren't given the, uh, you, you, couldn't, you didn't pick up on what the teacher was saying. The teacher was trying to teach 20, 25 kids. Uh, the rubber room was where one teacher had about five or six kids, and the teacher could really, um, you know, really concentrate on each kid and help each kid. So, it, it, you know, I could have been in there for math and George could have been in there for science. So we would spend two hours a day in the rubber room 
and uh, that's George and I. We'd always hang out. We would go to the gym together. There was a workout room. The classroom turned into a gym. Uh, we would do that together. We would spend all of our lunches together. We would hang out on weekends together. We would hang out all the time. When he bought his, um, when he bought his, I don't know what he had a Corvette. He bought his Corvette in grade 11 or grade 12. He bought a Corvette. And holy fuck, he would come to my house and we'd sit on the porch. And I remember when my neighbor, the woman, used to walk by, nice car. And then George and Mary would make fun of her, <laughs> like the assholes they were, like, nice car. I'm like, Jesus Christ, now if a 39, 40 year old woman said nice car, you'd be taking her home. You know, that's what 25 years does to you. So, anyway, <laughs> they were so mean, those guys. Um, and we'd go cruising, man. We went to parties. Oh, the shit we got ourselves into. Um, it's not, it's probably not going to be a funny story to you guys, but uh, it's a funny story to us. Me and George, we got into trouble one day at school. Um, I mean, it's just because we got in trouble all the time. But anyway, the teacher uh, sent us to, I think it was the rubber room teacher, because I remember the bald glasses. Uh, he sent us to the hallway. He said, you guys, just go in the hallway. I, I can't handle you guys anymore. So we sat in the hallway. And I guess the vice principal saw us in the hallway. What are you doing in the hallway? Uh, we weren't troublemakers that we'd end up in the principal or vice principal's office very much. Um, it was just, you know, general stupid stuff. So we were in the hallway. She said, go sit in the office. I want to have a word with you guys. So we're sitting in the office. The office is cladded in glass. So if you're walking up one hallway, walking down other hallways, you can see who's in the office. So I guess the teacher was wa the teacher who sent us to the hallway, he was walking around. He was looking for us. He's like, these fucking guys, they ditched us. You know, they ditched, uh, they ditched, you know, me telling them to go and stay in the hallway and I'll come talk to you in a bit. He sees us sitting in the office. Well, he gives us the finger and wave over. You know, the one finger, come here. So we get up and we're leaving the office. And the, the, the uh, secretary, she's like, where are you guys going? And I just looked at her and I said, forget about it. <laughs> and George just broke out fucking laughing. He's just like, forget about it? I said, yeah. I said, listen, Tuts, forget about it. <laughs> listen, Tuts. And he just was like, forget about it. So we go out in the hallway, and you can see the fucking secretary picking up the phone. And the vice principal just comes running out of her office, because their offices were connected through the secretary's office, or they could just go directly out in the hallway. So she just comes fucking blazing out of her office. And, of course, uh, the teacher, the rubber room teacher, is just giving it to us in the hallway. <laughs> And the vice principal comes around the corner, and I'm just like, what? He told us to come out, so we're coming out. Now you're going to give us trouble for this? So she's like, you better come talk to me after you're done. So anyway, we're done with him. And I'm like, can we go talk to her now? So we go back. <laughs> we go back. We go back and sit inside the, the office, and the secretary's just, she's looking, again, she's looking at us like she just wants to pull out her mace model, right? Like she just... She wants to mace us. There's no question about it. So she's looking at us, and George just keeps looking at her, dude. He just goes, forget about it. Like, I, you know, I said, I don't know. It's just all I can think of. Forget about it. <laughs> so anyway, that, that was all that happened there. But I thought it was just fucking hilarious. And, of course, 
for years and years and years and years after. He would just, every time I would see him, yes, forget about it, forget about it. <coughs> so that was great. I mean, so I think from grade, grade 9, you're like 15. So from 15 to 18, we were in fucking separable. We were together all the fucking time. Uh, him and Mario did end up with girlfriends. Now, for my 18th birthday, George and his girlfriend, because his girlfriend was best friends with my girlfriend at the time, Terry. So George and his girlfriend take, and, and Terry and I, the two girls, take us out for birthday dinners, because, of course, our birthdays are at the same time. So, you know, I'm on the 11th, he's on the 15th of November. So they take us out for dinner, and we go to Scandals after. And uh, there's no story there, but I'm just saying that's how my, we hung. My 18th birthday, I spent with George. I spent with George Seminaris, my 18th birthday. After high school, um, we kind of went our own ways. They would phone me all the time, all the time from parties. Uh, I believe George and Mario still had to go to Grand Park the next year for a half a year to finish up two, three credits. I was two, three credits short as well, but I was like, I'm going to be a fucking tile guy. I have an opportunity. Um, uh, Mario DiPietro, uh, for some lessons, uh, Angelo, shout out to Angelo. Uh, Mario had gotten me on the Fabris. Uh, my dad, my dad and my dad and Mario were like best friends. I think my dad phoned Mario and said, hey, you know, do you think you can get him in with Fabris? You know, I don't do tile anymore, but he wants to do it. Yeah, okay, I'll see what I can do. So, of course, I get a phone call from the boss, like, two, three days after this. So, I'm on. And it's right at the beginning of September. I decide I'm not going back to school. I have to take this opportunity now. There's no sense in me going back to school for three months and then maybe missing out an opportunity on working with this company. So, at the end of the day, I'm having the surgery <laughs> because I'm a tile guy. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I made a good 20, well, I don't know how long have I been doing this, like 26, 27 years. I made a good 27 years out of this thing before it kind of uh, ended me up on a surgery table. But I, I think it was the right decision at the end of the day. Um, I knew I wasn't going to go to school for anything. Uh, Mario, you know, had thrown the word out for me to get this job. So I, so I left. I left. Uh, I basically left high school two, three credits short. Uh, these guys went back to high school. So basically what I'm saying is, they would call me and say, hey, there's a party tonight. There's this and that tonight. We're going to the bar. I would never go. I would never go with them because you know what? When you're 18 years old and you've never worked a day in your life and all of a sudden you're working 40 to 45 hours, hard hours, laborious hours, working from 7 in the morning to 4 o'clock, the last thing you want to do is go party on a Friday night. You're, you're just fucking exhausted. It would take me all the way till Sunday afternoon to just regain enough energy to work the next week. Um, that's just the way it was. So we really kind of went our separate ways. Um, I still would see them from time to time. And, and if anybody knows George, as soon as George saw you, he would do the chin, the chin and neck out to say hello. Like, hey, how's it going? You know, kind of, you know, the chin and up in the air with your neck stretched. He would always give you the, not the nod, but the, the reverse nod. Uh, George was famous for that. Uh, he would always kind of point out his chin and just, it, and that would just be him saying, hey, I see you, what's up? And uh, every time I saw him, that's what he would do. Um, 
and uh, we kind of went our separate ways after high school. That's why I was mentioning, um, that's why Jay Soros and Luca and Trevor and all those guys came at the perfect time. I had already been working for four or five years. I was more comfortable in my role. I already was like a full-on Jedi at that point when it comes to tile setting. Um, I could get away with a little bit more. Uh, and I kind of lived those 19, 20-year-old fun party times with them at like 22. So I, I got that back in my life with, uh, with Soros and those guys, kind of what I lost with George and Mario uh, after I went, to, went to, to work and they continued uh, doing school. And then, you know, George worked his whole life. George went to school and worked. George had a full-time fucking job. His parents had a restaurant. And I remember George right after school, he had a shitbox beater car. Um, but he had to because after school, he would go straight to work and work as a cook or a waiter uh, till 11, 12 o'clock at night. He had fucking bags under his eyes in the morning. Like, this guy was working a full-time fucking job um, and going to uh, high school at the same time. So it was really incredible. But he didn't need school anymore either. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to take over his parents' restaurant there on Corden Avenue, the Santa Lucia on Corden. Um, he knew what he was going to do too. He didn't need school after school, but he wanted to graduate, so good for him. Uh, but you know, him and Mario, they'd party at <coughs> downtown bars and all these places. And I remember they would still call me. These fucking guys, they loved me so much. They called me um, a year after I had not really seen them anymore. Two years after I had not seen them anymore. 21. I was 21 years old. They were still calling me to come to the bars. And I would go very sporadically. And this is where the whole Jay Soros story comes in. Um, <coughs> of their guys just being so open. I remember going to a bar, the bar to see George and Mario. And, and fuck, man. They just knew all these new people. And I wasn't involved in these people. And I remember... I would go there and say hi to them and they would say hi to me and we'd be talking and it was like old times but then all of a sudden a new jabroni would come in and another jabroni and a new jabroni and another jabroni and eventually I just kind of I got pushed out of the circle and I was just like I'm just looking at the back of people's heads now I'm not involved in the conversation everybody's like who the fuck is this guy this guy's nobody well, who's this guy busting your balls <coughs> so I went from you know hanging out with these guys to all of a sudden, you know, three girls would start talking to them because they know these girls because they party with them all the time. But who's this guy? I don't know this guy. You know, it was so cliquey. And all these fucking Italians and Greeks they would hang out with were so fucking cliquey and so rude and such fucking assholes. They wouldn't talk to you. They wouldn't possibly allow a new person into their little fucking group. They wouldn't do it. Nothing like, like, Jay and Luke and these and Trevor, these guys and their buddies, fucking awesome guys. These all, all of their buddies, fucking assholes. And I think I was maybe twenty at the time. It was maybe the second or third time I had tried to I tried to go to a bar just to say hello to them because I hadn't seen them for months and months and months. And I remember the last time it was at uh, I think it was it used to be called the bank. Then it turned into some other different. It's a gay bar now. Go figure. I laughed at them all the time. I said, you know the bar you guys hung out at for two three years. No shit, it became a fucking gay bar. <laughs> I said, you guys are gay for fuck's sakes. You guys turned it into a gay bar. So anyway, I can't remember what it was called after the bank. It was called something different, but that was the last time I ever had seen them 
uh, together at the same time in a bar setting. Um, I just remember that. I went to talk to them, and we spoke for about five, ten minutes, and then slowly girls and other guys just surrounded them and pushed me to the outside. And I just, I left. I didn't even say bye to them. I'm just like, this is fucking stupid. This is ridiculous. What am I doing? What am I doing here? Like, these guys have way too many friends. They, they don't need me anymore. And the last time I ever, that might have been the last time I ever had seen them together. But when I turned 21, like, this is three years after we were best, best, best friends. Three years after we were best friends. They, they took me out on my 21st birthday. They came to pick me up on my 21st birthday and took me to uh, some lounge. It was on Grant and Pemina. I don't know what it was called, but it was on Grant and Pemina. And um, who knows what it was called? The Johnny's. I don't know. Johnny G's, maybe. Who knows? <coughs> so anyway, they took me out for wings and drinks. And I remember it being uncomfortable. I remember it being like, I, I totally, I love that you guys thought of me. I love that you came to pick me up on just some random Wednesday night. It was like minus 25 outside. Um, it was almost like we're trying to reconnect and be friends, but it just felt like too much shit had, it just felt like too much time and too many things had happened. I think these bar incidents might have happened already. And I was just like, it, it felt bad, but I just kind of, it's over. Like, I don't think we're friends anymore. And I felt really bad because um, they came to pick me up and I think everything was okay. We were at the bar and I realized that their conversation, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand who they were talking about. Uh, we weren't talking about our high school days anymore. We weren't talking about people that we might know anymore. They were in their own conversation. And it was like, again, it was totally awesome that they came to pick me up. And they thought about me on my 21st birthday. Because God knows I never thought about them on their birthdays. I think I stopped saying happy birthday to George when he was 19. <coughs> so, I remember the ride home. I remember we were done eating. And I was just like, you know, guys, I think I have to work tomorrow. Like... Like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I have to fucking work tomorrow. And I just, you know, if you guys can take me home, you guys can go do something else after. I remember driving home and the, the car was just silent. Just nobody talked. And I, I just remember driving home and just going, it's, it's done. Like, I don't, we're not friends anymore. I don't think we are friends anymore. And that's weird. That's a weird place to be. I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced that. But it was just a really weird place to be. And they dropped me off and I said, you know, thanks guys. We'll, you know, we'll talk to you later. But I, I knew as they drove away, I was like, I'm never going to talk to these guys again. <coughs> now, it's not true. I see Mario quite a bit. Uh, I think I went to his wedding social and said, you know, when I went to his wedding social, I shook his hand and I cried. I shook his hand and a tear rolled down my, and, and you know, I just told him that, you know, I loved him. And, you know, I still think about him all the time. And, you know, it's too bad we can't be friends anymore. Like, his wedding party were all these fucking same Italians from the bar. It was just, I just, you know, me and Red Heat went to this thing, and we didn't know fucking anybody there. I think Dr. Chris was there too, but he came way later after we left. 
it was just like it's so sad because we were such good friends and it's just like fuck what happened it was so many years after that taking me out for my 21st birthday but you know you just you remember the five six years that you were best friends uh, best friends for all those years and then it just was all over and I remember I shed a tear I was just like like fuck I'm praying I'm happy you're getting married I love you I'll always love you and it it just was weird it, it was weird uh, but I still see Mario all the time because he's a tile setter as well. So I see him at the distributors. Uh, I do talk to him often. So thank God I still do see him now and then. Uh, we aren't good friends anymore. Uh, we're acquaintances. We are, we are acquaintances. Uh, I don't think we're friends anymore. But uh, that's okay. I mean, I, I'll always call him a friend. But, you know, we don't hang out or anything anymore. But George, um, rest in peace. We weren't anything anymore. Uh, the last time I had ever spoken to him was the uh, my 21st birthday. That was the last time I ever had spoken to him. Um, he sat about five or six rows ahead of me when I had season tickets to the Jets, half-season tickets with my sister in USC Lee. Uh, he sat four or five rows in front of me for six years. Now, I didn't see him every single game, but I want to say I saw him about 10, 15 times in that six years. And I never spoke to him. And it's no different. I'm telling you the same story like Sean Jacobucci. I saw him at 7-Eleven. Uh, he was sitting in a vestibule coming to say hi to me. And I ignored his phone call. And same thing with George Simonitis. Uh, he was sitting right there. He was sitting five or six rows ahead of me. He didn't recognize me. He didn't see me. He might have not even recognized me anymore. And um, I wouldn't even go talk to him. I guess inside you kind of think you're going to live forever and one day you're going to run into each other and speak, but, you know, more of the stories, you never know when it's going to be done. You never know when it's over. Even if you see somebody you're not friends with or you don't talk to anymore, maybe you didn't have the best relationship, just go fucking say hi because you never know when it's the last time you're ever going to see them. You never know. So George passed away at 44. And I'll be honest, I... There's a lot of people that I was friends with over the year that are just, they're not here anymore. You know, they're just not here anymore. And, uh, and, and the saddest thing was, I remember Red Heat came home, Jadan came home and she said, oh, she goes, you know, I'm sorry about your friend George. I just said, I'm, I'm not for, you know, for some reason I'm not upset about it. I, I don't know why. This guy was my best friend. This guy was my best friend for six years. And I just, I was like, I don't know. He took me out for my 18th birthday and he took me out for my 21st birthday. When you talk to a guy, those are the two biggest birthdays you'll ever celebrate. 18 is when you're officially an adult and you can go see rippers and drink in Canada. And 21 is when you can officially cross the border and go to bars there. And George was with me and celebrated both of those with me at the, and, and I don't know. Maybe a psychiatrist one day can understand why <coughs> lots of other people's... Anybody I've ever known in my life that passes away, I feel a little bit sad and upset about it. You know, like like Angelo's listening, like when his father passed away. 
I was just, I was so sad. It's not like I knew him and I phoned him and we were best friends, but we worked with each other for seven or eight years. We went out of time, how much time we spent in Verdon and Thompson together. We spent a lot of time on, on job sites. Not only did we spend a lot of time in my early days because our parents were best friends and, um, I knew him as a child, but you know, he was way older and we just kind of looked, he didn't speak. But then when we worked with each other, <laughs> hundreds of times, and you just think of those times and you get sad and you know, you're sad, you're upset about it. You know, it, it, it's it, anybody who's had a parent pass away, anything. I, I just think of, you know, I just think of the, and I get sad. But for some reason, this didn't upset me. And I, I just, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if it was because of what would happen at the bars, how they would ignore me, uh, how the other friends would come in and kind of push you away. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's strange. But I think that's going to do it for the podcast. That's another hour and 20 minute podcast. I hope you guys um, have enjoyed it. Uh, the last little bit here has been a little bit of just letting Ross spew whatever he's going to spew. I hope you like the Jay Soros stories. Those were fun. Uh, that was a really fun time. And, uh, and you know, the, the George the George times were really fun, too. Uh, we learned how to drive a car together. We did driver's ed together. We did the classes together. We were in the same car. There was only three people in the car. George was one of them. We learned how to drive together. And God, he wanted to drive so bad. I think his parents wanted him to drive so bad so they could do fucking pizza deliveries and shit. Um, yeah, we did a lot of shit together. And, and you know what? I don't know. I don't know why I didn't uh, shed a tear or I wasn't upset. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. It has nothing to do with with. Uh, it has nothing to do with anything. I just I just don't know why. Is it weird that I keep talking about? It? I don't. I guess it confuses me. Like I don't know. I, I I'm I'm, tr- I'm still trying to understand it. Uh, but but boy, I I think of the times we had. I, I great times. Great times with George. I don't think you ever forget the person you did you you ended up doing driver's ed with. Do you ever forget that person? Do you ever forget the people that were in the car when you started driving for the first time? I don't there was a girl. There was me, George, and there was a girl, but I don't know who the girl was. The girl was not from Grand Park High School. But for some reason George was in there. <laughs> I don't know why. And he'd come and pick me up in that fucking Corvette and we'd cruise downtown and be like, George, take me home. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like Friday night at three in the morning. We're still cruising. He would go, he was like Charlie. You know, Charlie Mouse. He would go put five dollars in the gas tank, drive around for 20, 30 minutes. I gotta put another five bucks in. Fill up the goddamn tank. Why are you putting five dollars in at a time? I, it was finally 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, George, have we wasted enough people on Main Street? Like, can you just take me home, please? I'm exhausted. Fuck me. Shit. I think Dr. Chris was there a few times, too. Um, it was good times. It was good times from everybody. Uh, that's the last time you'll... Uh, uh, it's just a little tribute uh, to my old friend, George Simonitis. Uh, uh, rest in peace, my friend. Um, 
you know, you'll be, you will obviously be greatly missed by your family and uh, obviously the people who are still um, uh, best friends with you. No doubt about it. Uh, I believe he left a, a wife and two kids um, behind, obviously very young. Uh, when you die in your early 40s, uh, if you have a family, you have to think they're they're all uh, below the age of 10 uh, at that point. So it's hard. It's a hard. It's a hard thing. Uh, I don't quite know how to end this show. Uh, I just kind of want to keep talking about these guys. I miss them. Um, again, talk to people. I had countless times I could have spoken to all these people, and I didn't take it. And you got to live with that. You got to live with that. You got to eat it. And um, let's just hope uh, my time's not tomorrow. I think about it all the time now. But anyway, uh, let's leave off the show. Uh, on that note, uh, we will be back after our surgery. And we will come back to you hopefully with uh, the same kind of energy, the same kind of uh, humor, laughter. Some sad stuff, some funny stuff. Uh, who knows? But anyway, um, yeah, pray for me. So put a little prayer up there for me uh, tonight. And uh, that's it. So anyway, uh, rest in peace. Uh, Sean Jacobucci, my old pal friend. It's been over a year since he passed. And uh, rest in peace, George. He was... Uh, was a good guy. <laughs>